the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to a special edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast, except we're not talking about specifically Conference USA this episode. This is our NFL Draft Preview Special, where we'll talk about uh, the American and the Sunbelt players that uh, have a possibility of furthering their football playing career at the next level. Uh, as well as the CUSA guys. And we are joined today by Mr. Joe Serpico, all the way from beautiful Baltimore, Maryland, along with my good buddy, Eric Henry. How are you guys doing today? I'm glad to be a part of this show. That's the first time I'm joining you guys on this side. I think last year we did it with it was the four of us, so, but uh, it's just me this year. So I'm excited to do this with Sports kind of out of touch right now. I think uh, we can all agree that we're kind of a little bit happy that there's this NFL draft upcoming to give us some kind of fix in the sports world right now. Absolutely. I'll piggyback I... off that. Oh, no, Joe, I was going to say really quickly, it's been too long since I've had a chance to bond with my podcast co-host, Mr. Lonergan, and I'm always glad to hear uh, Joe Serpico's voice as well. So I'm uh, doing it right here in the, in the midst of Gronk mania here in uh, Tampa. I know, right? That That's kind of making the headlines on the day that we're recording this. So interesting to see how that plays into Tampa's draft strategy. But I know just as far as like watching the draft, I know like I already have plans set up with like my my buddies to like get on a Zoom call and like drink and watch this as it goes down because we've been so, you know, starred for like live sports the last couple of months. So yeah, I'm also very happy that this is going to still go down, even if it's not in like the traditional manner that it has the last few years. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know. Uh, or go ahead, Joe. You got it. No, sorry. I don't want to jump in. I know I'm the newbie on it, but I basically <laughs> was going to say I agree with with Joe in the sense of you know we, me and my friends, we've kind of kind of touched on the same things really that we're like looking to get on a. We've been using Google Hangouts, but basically the same thing is is what you're using over there to do the same thing. Just just see some human interactions. That's the only way you can really do it right now. And between the drafts, like I said before, and this whole new Jordan documentary, I'm sure that you guys probably checked out as well. That seems to be like the life of sports right now. Uh, So I'm just excited to see how this plays out just because I'm dying for any kind of sports. Joe Serpico, let me say this really quickly. So we're not stepping on each other's toes as we record this lovely podcast. Yeah, you know, this this is our house, but you're welcome anytime. You are a guest, so you can go ahead and take the lead. Whenever uh, Mr. Lonergan asks a question, you've got the lead first, and I will gladly follow from there. All right, well, obviously I'm glad to be a part of this. We we all interact with each other, but it just, you know, this is one of the first few times that we get to do it actually on a, a podcast. We've only done this a handful of times now. But this should be fun. You know, talking to draft is always fun. I mean, we can all, I guess, agree that it's all a guessing game. There's always surprises. You know, nobody expected Daniel Jones to be drafted so high last year. Everybody kind of was gasping when it happened. And then it turned out to be, you know, pretty solid pick by the Giants' part. So it's just fun to talk football with some people who also know football. Can I ask one question about that Jordan doc, just because I haven't seen it before we jump into it here? Did they talk about – uh, how bad of a tipper Scotty Pippen is? <laughs> Not yet. I'm sure that'll towards be covered end, in one of the upcoming towards parts. The end, towards the end, they kind of get into him a little bit. So I feel like we're getting ready to learn more about Scotty there. So I'm kind of going to take this because I didn't know this was coming, but I'm I'm going to take that that was uh, – a personal experience from that. <laughs> it wasn't actually. That's just like the two things that like all I've heard about from because uh, being in in Portland, Pippen had a little bit of a time with the the Blazers and that uh-huh. kind of thing, and then obviously just like from talking to people there, and then just from like other stories from other documentaries and that kind of thing. Everybody says Scotty Joe- Pippen's like a horrible tipper, so I don't know. <laughs> like he do- like he just doesn't tip people or something like that. Joe Lonergan, since you opened the door, I'm gonna walk right through it. Um, I went to grad school in Chicago and prior to getting a big boy job in the field of media, I was a bartender. (laughs) So, um, I, I have a story that I, I won't tell on air. However, um, the, 
the nickname that was given to Scottie Pippen from people who had been in Chicago their entire lives was no Tippin Pippen. Right. So take that for uh-huh. what it's worth. <laughs> All right. I'm interested to hear that story now. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's uh, jump into it before we <laughs> sidetracked. <laughs> yeah. Before we get too sidetracked with, uh, with the Scottie Pippen trash talk. Um, so for those of us who don't follow our content pretty regularly, um, Serpico obviously follows his alumni or his alma mater, rather the temple owls very closely. And uh, just kind of wanted to kind of go around the table here and let's talk about uh, the guys from our respective schools that uh, we're, you know, particularly excited about as far as their career at the next level goes. So uh, Serpico, we'll start with you. Who are you excited about from your Temple Owls? Well, this year, the the top name on the board is uh, Matt Hennessy. Uh, he played center for the Owls. His brother's also in the NFL. He's been a, a long snapper for, I want to say, the Jets. He's been there for a while. He was just a long snapper. Now he's getting some regular time at at, um, at snapper, or excuse me, center, I guess is the right word I should say. Same thing, I guess, right? But, um, you know, Matt's been terrific since being at Temple. I mean, he's been basically one of the rocks in the middle of that line. Uh, All-conference player for the past couple of years. I mean, whoever takes him, you've got a stud, whether it be, you know, I've heard a lot of talks, you know, like a, like Joe just mentioned, I'm from Baltimore. So I know a lot of people in Baltimore are looking for an interior guy. So I know that is somebody that's kind of on their radar. Um, to me as an Eagles fan, I grew up in Pennsylvania. So that's why there's that allegiance to uh, Temple there. But so like, I'm kind of hoping that he comes there because they can use an interior guy as well. Um, but yeah, it sounds like he's going to go somewhere in between that second third round uh, looking more likely based on these mock drafts again these are all guesses so who knows what these people really know but it looks like he's going to go somewhere in round two he was phenomenal at the uh, senior bowl that's kind of what got him really on the map of a lot of these scouts because I think when that process started he was probably fourth fifth rounder uh, senior bowl really helped him out and then when he went in the combine he really blew it up so that really uh, helped him out um, two other guys that I know that are kind of on the radar for for some people is, and that I'll be really having my eye on, one being Harrison Hand, cornerback. Um, he was a Baylor transfer, which, you know, it's kind of ironic. He came to Temple when Matt Rule, who is now the Panthers coach, um, he came to Temple when Rule went to Baylor. So it was just kind of weird how that kind of worked out. But when he came on campus, so the thing – about him that I really enjoy is he's not afraid to get in the mix. I mean, I remember when I was covered the uh, Maryland game this past year, you know, he's a cornerback, but he led the team in tackles. And a lot of times you think that's maybe not necessarily a good thing that your corner is leading the team in tackles, but that's just kind of his demeanor. Like he just gets into a lot of these plays. And then maybe my favorite player on that team was Sean Bradley, middle linebacker. Probably going to go in the later rounds, maybe go undrafted. But, I mean, his style of play is it's maybe a little bit old school. He might struggle a little bit in the coverage, especially with this day and age of where you see, especially a lot of safeties moving over to play that linebacker position just because, you know, you kind of alluded to Gronk earlier. I mean, you're just seeing these guys that are bigger, faster, stronger that make it harder to cover, so they're getting safeties and transition the linebacker to the next level. But I think Sean Bradley is a guy that I will definitely keep an eye on, hoping that he, he just he reminds me a lot of maybe you guys can remember Tyler Mitikavich, just the thumper. You know, he just he's your old school linebacker, and I'm, I'm just kind of hoping that he gets to uh, at least get a, a chance to showcase himself because he definitely plays the part. It's just the league is transitioning away from his style of play, really. Certainly makes sense. I believe I remember him from what you're describing. And if I'm remembering the same guy, yeah, the physicality that he showed at the college level was was really something. Um, so those are the owls that you can 
potentially look forward to uh, having successful pro careers uh, following the draft on Thursday. Uh, Eric, who from FIU is really um, getting you excited right now? Yeah, so there's three guys. I mean, obviously, you know, anyone who's been following the draft coverage over the past really two months or so, I'd say since the East-West Shrine game has heard the name James Morgan. He's been rising up draft charts. You know, it's kind of a hot name as kind of that sleeper quarterback, a guy who could be uh, a potential developmental guy. And, you know, having covered James for the past two years, there's a lot to like about him. Just in terms of, you know, he is in a league that, uh, like, you know, Joe Serpico said, is trending differently, you know, in terms of, you know, athleticism and style of play. James is definitely a throwback in the sense that he's your 6'5", 230-pound pocket passer. You know, he's not going to necessarily beat anybody with his legs. However, he's quick enough to move around in the pocket. And I think his 40 time came back at like a 4.86, 4.49. It was something where just, you know, it was good enough to that it wasn't alarming and that he's a statue back there. But if there's one thing James Morgan can do, it's it, it, he can throw the football. I, I talked to a guy at the, at the East West Shrine game who – uh, one of the guys who was scouting there, who said that, in his opinion, James Morgan has as good as arm talent as any quarterback in the draft not named Joe Burrow. And, you know, that may sound like an outlandish statement, but like I said, you know, having covered James for the past two years, there's one thing he can do is that he can hit any throw on the field. He can make any throw on the field in terms of his arm strength. Uh, I'd say just, you know, from a positive and negative kind of standpoint, the positives, just his – James is a guy who – just based on his intelligence and his integrity, I mean, you know, Joe Lonergan, we've had him on the podcast twice. You know, you've spoken to him. Uh, he's, you know, just a stand-up, intelligent, you know, hardworking kind of guy. And that alone should buy him, you know, I, in my opinion, 10 years in the NFL is at least a backup. And then if you can tap into any of his physical tools, you know, the sky is kind of the limit there. And in terms of negatives, I guess the major thing that I've seen written about him on NFL.com that I would agree with is um, – James doesn't have a changeup in his game uh, in the sense that he's throwing everything 100 miles an hour. I mean, there are plenty of times where you look up uh, from the press box and he's throwing, you know, a, a, a three-yard, you know, a shallow route, you know, like 100 miles an hour to Sterling Palmer across the field at the tight end. So I'd say he probably has to learn to take a little bit off his uh, intermediate throws and, and probably in terms of the offense, you know, NFL offense will be different. But James Morgan is someone definitely to look out for. The second name is Stanley Thomas Oliver the third. He was another person who went to the East-West Shrine game and really impressed and got a late invite to the NFL Combine as well. He ran 4-4-6. And I think just, you know, kind of a quick and dirty synopsis of Stanley is he's someone who spent two years as a wide receiver, was actually an all-freshman performer uh, for Conference USA as a freshman, you know, started, I want to say started 12 or 13 games as a freshman. And, um, you know, when Butch Davis took over at FIU, he was someone who, really identified him as maybe having an NFL future as a defensive back. You look at his traits, 6'2", 193 pounds, really long arms. I, I don't want to, you know, people have kind of gotten on me for making this comparison, but he really reminds me of Richard Sherman, and there's a lot of similarities. Yes, you're talking about a receiver who transitions to cornerback, a long, rangy guy, you know, probably not the fastest 40 time, but doesn't look slow out there on the field. By no means am I saying he's going to be Richard Sherman. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Fame cornerback. But I'm just saying in terms of a developmental guy um, who has – if you're looking for an NFL comp, I think that's someone in terms of just, you know, his backstory transitioning from receiver to quarterback. Uh, and the third guy would be T.R. Tart, who I saw as recently as I want to say about seven to ten days ago on a uh, NFL.com mock draft, maybe being drafted in the seventh round. The book on T.R. is – He's someone who was a four-star prospect coming out of high school, or coming out of JUCO, excuse me, was the second-rated, second-highest-rated prospect uh, assignee in the history of FIU football. But the thing with FIU is because they rotated so many defensive linemen in and out, you know, he didn't get that consistent playing time, and his numbers on the field might not be as gaudy as you might have wanted to see from, you know, a, uh, a four-star defensive tackle. But you look at someone who still managed to have, I believe it was 12 or 13 tackles for loss, uh, just this season alone and kind of a, you know, a hybrid role. And the year before his junior year, he had four sacks. So he's shown the ability to get back there and then rush the passer as well. So he's someone who I think just on sheer um, potential, you know, once again, he'll get around that NFL coaching and, you know, maybe get uh, some more out of him than you maybe got at FIU. I can easily see a team taking a sixth or seventh round flyer on him just to keep him away from undrafted free agency. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned it with, um, 
James Morgan in particular, from every conversation we've had from him, I I have you know very high expectations for just him. Not not simply as a football player, but just as a as a person and, and what he'll accomplish in life, regardless of how his pro career goes. Um, and to kind of wrap up this section of the show, there's only one guy from my beloved Western Kentucky Hilltoppers that I really want to mention, and that's Lucky Jackson. Um, when you kind of look at what he accomplished over the course of his career and, and sticking out the tough times when um, he didn't really have a, you know, he didn't have a, the, the best offense to work with um, his junior or redshirt senior season, um, his second to last season, rather when, when Mike Sanford was still the head coach, when you look at kind of what he persevered through there and found a way to get back on top in his senior year with 1100 yards and was, undoubtedly kind of the focal point of that offense. Uh, I, I feel really good about his chances to land somewhere within the NFL, regardless of that's as a, as a UDFA or as kind of a late round pick, but definitely think he has the the physical tools and, and kind of the mindset that you need to succeed at the next level. I think it's just a matter of him uh, finding a fit with, with a quarterback who can, you know, a quarterback and just an overall offense that can find kind of find, ways to get him involved because we we obviously saw it go the other way in uh 2018 when the tops went three and nine um but that's kind of what we can expect from the schools that we follow most closely i kind of want to open it up a little bit to just talk about the the three main conferences that you see udd cover and that's uh, obviously the americans usa and the Sun Belt. Um, to kind of talk a little bit more about um, the American Conference and some of the guys who are looking to find their place in the NFL there. Uh, Serpico, who are you kind of seeing? I know uh, Houston in particular has a couple of guys that we're pretty excited about. Yeah, that kind of seems to be the uh, the reoccurring thing when you come to the American. You know, I kind of mentioned earlier that Ed Oliver was uh, a name that, you know, we were expecting to go not just in the first round, the high in the first round, ever since he landed at Houston, just because, you know, it's one of the few five-star recruits that honestly goes to a G5, and he was just dominant there. So it was, that was no surprise. But that's not necessarily the case for the American this year. Um, maybe the top player on the board for, for the conference is another Houston guy, like you said, Josh Jones, the tackle. I mean, he's the kind of a guy that you know, he was steady Eddie for the first couple of years, which I mean is what you expect from from a youngin. But then once the whole career kind of played out, you realize just how damn good he was. Um, start ended up starting forty five games in his career. He was there for five years as a red shirt. But I think you know if you really put it in the grand scheme of things, forty five games that he played, and he only gave up eleven sacks. And in this day and age of college football where, you know, quarterbacks or especially if you think about it, when you got a guy like Deer King that he's trying to protect for for all these years, you know, he's super mobile. So, you know, they, they can also get you a lot of sacks that are maybe not supposed to be on your stat line. So for him to only have 11 in that 45 games, I think that's uh, pretty remarkable. Um, like I've mentioned Hennessy before, guy that really upped his value with some of these postseason um, games, whether it be the uh, – pretty sure that he was in the um, the Senior Bowl as well, as well as at the Combine. So he really upped his value there. Um, the one guy that I'm really looking forward to, and I saw somebody the other day – I don't want to say they stole my comparison, but that's who I always compared him to when he was in college – and now that this whole draft, draft process has kind of played out, you're hearing more and more of these things. But Antonio Gibson from Memphis, he's a, you know, he, he reminds a lot of people of Debo Samuel because you don't really know what position to put him at. Do you put him at receiver? Do you put him at running back? I mean, the one thing you do know is the kid's an absolute gamer. Like, he's going to run you over, whether it be on a receiving pattern or in the backfield. You can line him up anywhere one of those like true all-around weapons, and he's thick too. So like a lot of these guys that you're hearing are football players. Maybe they're necessarily these smaller guys who are twitchy, who got super speed. This, this kid Gibson is a thick – honestly, he's, he's probably bigger than Samuel, and he's just going to be a weapon for whoever ends up drafting him. And then 
not to stay too far with Memphis, but this is a guy, Patrick Taylor, who was coming into last year. I mean, a lot of people probably had him to be the shoe-in to be the uh, player of the year, if not for the injury to Mackenzie Milton and how that all played out. Uh, but Patrick Taylor probably would have been everybody's pick to be the preseason player of the year until injury kind of slowed him down. And that gave an opportunity for somebody like Gibson to really step up and play. And then they figured out that I have a whole another weapon in Kenneth Gainwell, who maybe in another year or two, we'll be doing a show about him. But Patrick Taylor is probably a guy who's going to get picked up in say that fifth or sixth round. And honestly, if not for injury, probably goes a lot higher than that. Probably rounds two or three. Um, when him and Daryl Henderson were together, who was drafted, I believe, in the third round last year, I mean, they both were dynamic players, and that was splitting time together. And I think in this day and age, you know, we're talking a lot about making ourselves sound a little bit old by saying this, but we're all relatively young guys. But, like, you're seeing a lot of these systems that are using two running backs, and I think Taylor would definitely fit somebody's scheme in a lot of ways, just because he is a uh, your old school thunder and lightning. I would say he's more the thunder just because he's a bigger back. Hey, Joe, really quick. Do you mind if I yeah. ask you a quick question about a guy who I, I um, Joe Serpico, let me specify here. Um, I'm just wondering, and, you know, for those of you who normally this podcast, you know, I'm a graduate of the University of Central Florida. So, you know, my, my perspective or my spirit is probably a little biased. So I want to get an outside opinion. Gabe Davis. Um, everything that, I mean, I kind of thought, you know, seeing him, what I was able to see of him in college, so, I mean, I, you know, I spent a lot of time covering, you know, FIU and CUSA games, but, you know, catching Gabe Davis and seeing him make big-time plays and big games and, you know, maybe getting caught up in the Twitter feed of, you know, uh, um, the uh, Knights fandom, maybe that inflated my idea of what he could be, but I, I, I'm not hearing a lot of talk about him in terms of, I thought he was a guy who, I mean, maybe not a first-round receiver because this is a really deep draft in terms of receivers, but like I thought he'd be a shoe in for the second or third round. What do you think about him? Honestly, I I think that's a great question because I was big on him when I when I first heard that he was coming out in this draft, you know, I was like, all right, Gabe, like you kind of alluded to right there, somebody that'll be drafted high. I just think that this year's draft class, especially a receiver, is just so unique. I don't think we've ever seen. I mean, I think I've heard some of these experts um, say that anywhere between you know 15 to 20 can go in the first two rounds, just because of how many. And I and I feel like the receiver position it, it has changed in so many ways just in the past, let's say, decade really. But I've always been a, a Gabe Davis fan myself. I know he has lit up Temple every time he's played. Um, I do know. I don't think he was super impressive with some of his numbers at the combine. And I think because of the unique circumstances with that we're in right now, the whole thing where a lot of these guys, and I guess I could kind of say this for the G5 as a whole, where you know, they're not getting the same looks as maybe as in years past, because you can't do these individual workouts and things of that nature. So I, I do feel like it's kind of hindering maybe some of these guys a little bit, but I mean, he's a perfect example of that because it's such a deep, deep class. I mean, like I said, 15 can go in that first two rounds, and then you can get an absolute steal like a Gabe Davis who is getting so overlooked, but he could, might be a fourth-round steal. I know, I know, again, not to bring it back to home too much, but I know there are some Ravens fans who are not too crazy about him, but there are some who love him just because, you know, let's face it, if, we know with uh, Lamar Jackson as the quarterback in Baltimore, they're basically based around their running game. And he not only one is a weapon as a receiver, but he's also a weapon as a blocker. So that's kind of why some Ravens fans here are really kind of hoping for him as well. Definitely makes sense. Uh, Joe Serpico, thank you so much for that insight on the American. Eric, before we jump into the Sun Belt, because I know you wanted to kind of touch on some of those guys, um, but real quick, anybody else from your alma mater that you think has a decent shot to uh, get their name called on uh, on Thursday? Um, I'm going to be honest. 
you know, and this is where it's tough, Joe, you know, because I spend the bulk of my time watching Conference USA football. I don't have a chance to watch UCF as closely as I did, even though I've covered a couple of games. I was really surprised that Nebel Clark um, left early. And Joe Soberto can correct me if I'm wrong. As a matter of fact, no, I know he did leave early. He left as a junior. Um, that kind of surprised me because I thought he was a guy who he has really solid athletic traits. But at the same point in time, there was never a point in time in which you saw him play in that he looked like, for example, I'll use a, a CUSA comparison. You put Nabell Clark and Amik Robertson, you know, put their tape side by side. I mean, one guy, you know, at 5'9", 185 pounds is just shutting down guys left and right. And Nabell Clark looks like a solid college cornerback, but he didn't look like a guy that I thought, you know, could come out and be a, a definite draft pick. So I think that's the guy who, I mean, Serpico, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's really the only other knight that has a, a shot at getting drafted. I I totally agree with you there. Uh, there's a guy. So another guy who I thought maybe would have a shot, maybe just as a return man. And I know how you probably have a feel about this. In Adrian Killens, I thought just sure. his electric speed would get him some kind of consideration in the later rounds. But in a lot of these things, these mock drafts that are out there, you're not seeing his name at all, which kind of surprises me. You would figure somebody would take a late round fire on him. Just because of, I mean, I think the comparison we've heard coming out of, and you can correct me in this, but a lot of people like to say he's the fastest man in college football. And when he gets the ball in his hand, there's no denying it. I mean, he's one of the fastest guys I've seen. As far as uh, what you said about Neville Clark, I mean, I think even Gabe Davis is coming out early. So that that was a little bit, yeah. So, like, even for him to come out was a little bit surprising just considering – what this draft class looked like. You know, maybe he holds on for one more year and next year he's getting drafted uh, a little bit higher. But kind of like me and Joe have talked about um, in the past on when we do our show is some of these guys might be trying to ride that high of UCF's uh, significance, not just in the G5, but let's say in college football, as a whole, you know, they're trying to do their, I mean, all credit to them. They're doing everything they can to make them, I mean, I'm on boat was, they were national champions a couple of years ago. I don't want to hear it. They, they were, but like, so, and I, and I think that is the same case for like, say last year when it was uh, Tristan Hill, I honestly thought it was too early for him to come out. And then sure enough, that got proven wrong where he got taken in the second round. But so, so a lot of people think that they, you know, trying to ride that high while UCF is hot to get out while they can. So maybe that's the reasoning why Clark is doing it. But as far as Davis's case goes, I, I am a little bit surprised that he did it. Cause I mean, if he comes back one more year, dominates the AAC, which he's going to do regardless, just because let's face it, the Americans defense is, uh, <laughs> I don't want to put it on the same level as the big 12, but it's not that great. You can run up a lot of numbers in that conference. So, yeah, it, it is a little bit surprising to see both of those UCF guys move on to the next level, considering they had another year of eligibility. And they probably would have gone higher next year, especially in the case of Davis, just because of how stacked this class is this year, our receiver. All totally makes sense. Uh, now, Eric, I mentioned before that um, you had done some research on some of the Sun Belt guys that – you think have a decent shot at the next level. I uh, would love to know who those guys are. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start with the guy who I saw play in person, and that's Arkansas State receiver Omar Bayless, who, uh, you know, he was the Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year, just really outstanding as a senior. I mean, I, I believe if a member serves me correct, he was third-team All-American, had 93 catches for like 1,600 yards. Had a heck of a game against FIU. He won the Camellia Bowl uh, game, Camellia Bowl MVP uh, for the uh, game against FIU, that bowl game. And the one thing that I noticed about him, just seeing up close and in person, he's a legit 6'2", 215, but also, I mean, for a receiver, catches the ball in traffic, seems to run decent routes. The only thing that I heard was a knock on him from some of the people around Arkansas State 
and he did have a, uh, a drop as well during the game, was drops. You know, there were some times where he may have been prone to, you know, the easy catches, you know, needs to focus on kind of, um, you know, just securing those ones. Because, I mean, there was a, a easy touchdown that he dropped that would have sealed the game, which Arkansas State did end up winning. But uh, Omar Bayless, I mean, just he's a complete stud. You know, um, I'm looking at his 40 time right here. Ran 4.62, bench press 11 reps. So, I mean, those numbers aren't going to wow you. But just in terms of a receiver, he was an absolute stud. I, I'm looking at, once again, looking at the, the NFL.com comp, and, and they have him as – potentially as a backup special teamer, a guy who could get picked in the late rounds, fifth, sixth, seventh. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, Joe, to kind of give you a Conference USA uh, comp, he kind of reminds me of Tyree Brady, but Tyree Brady was a guy who, shockingly to me, wasn't drafted. You know, I thought Tyree Brady for sure would have been a late-round pick, but uh, just in terms of sheer volume, I mean, Omar Bayless, you know, like I said, had a monster year last year, so that's one. Uh, another one that I think you have to look at is uh, attack uh, Louisiana Lafayette. He's arguably the um, the highest, excuse me, the highest rated Sun Belt prospect out of all of them, and it's Robert Hunt. Uh, he's got prototypical size, six five through three hundred twenty three pounds. NFL.com has him as a guy who will be a starter within the first two rounds. They have him projected to be picked yeah, either in the uh, potentially the late first round, but definitely in the second or third round. He was a four year starter, so I mean that's just you know kind of speaks for itself as far as his potential, but was just really impressed by him. I mean, I saw a lot of his stuff because I had a chance to watch the entire NFL Combine, and I remember that he practiced, um, I want to say it was at East-West or one of the All-Star games at guard and tackle, so obviously he has a little bit of versatility there and just his sheer size should help, but that's the highest-rated prospect there for the uh, for the Sun Belt. And then the last guy is another Louisiana Lafayette player, almost got him mixed up there for a second with Hunt, is Raymond Callis, who was a running back. Uh, 5'9", 188 pounds. NFL.com has their comp there as um, uh, Donnell Pumphrey from San Diego State. And I think that's a really good comp because another smaller back who's versatile, kind of a, a change of change of pace kind of guy. You know, maybe you got that bruiser in there in first and second round, and you can bring him in a third down, has good hands out of the backfield. They have him as a fifth or sixth round pick. So those are three guys I think you really got to look at from the Sun Belt, but definitely keep your eye on Bayless. I think he can be a sleeper. Like Joe Serpico said, I mean, this is a really deep receiver class. I almost wonder for guys like Omar Bayless and Gabe Davis, you know, if they come out next year, which in Bayless's case, he didn't, he didn't have an opportunity or a, a choice. He's a redshirt senior. But if this receiver class wasn't as deep, I almost wonder maybe if Omar Bayless is like, uh, you know, a second or third round guy, just based off his sheer volume of production. But those would be the guys, especially Hunt. I mean, I think Hunt is going to be the first Sun Belt player off the board. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how those Louisiana Lafayette guys go uh, in particular, just because I feel like of all the Sun Belt guys, I feel like they've been uh, kind of the most talked about in the lead up to the draft. Um, as far as CUSA guys go, um, there's a couple that I, I wanted to make sure that uh, I mentioned. And first of all, Harrison Bryant, tight end from FAU. Um, really, in every game that he played at FAU, I, he made some kind of play that I just thought was um, incredibly athletic, especially given his size. Uh, in 2019, he finished up with 65 catches for 1,004 yards and seven touchdowns, which for a tight end of the G5 level, that's particularly impressive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I really feel like there are several teams – that could really use a quality tight end, especially in like the first three to four rounds, even that um, based on the mock drafts that I've read, I really feel like he's um, not getting enough attention in that regard, because I feel like just because of a, the, the technical ability that he's shown and the physical qualities that he has with his build and uh, his height and his hands and, and just his speed too. I feel like he can he can make somebody very happy playing that position. Um, and then also you gotta mention Kez Watkins from Southern Miss. When you when you look at the receivers in COSA, I think he was by far uh just the most impressive when his head was in it, if that makes sense. I can't really, you know, I, I definitely don't blame anybody on that Southern Miss team for being distracted at some points in this year because you know, it was just such a strange year. And I feel like even the buildup to the season was very weird trying to get in um, or trying to bring in the um, former Baylor, Arbiles, trying to bring him in onto the staff, which I felt like was a complete misstep, which we covered in depth on another episode. But 
regardless, Kez Watkins definitely has NFL ability, and I would love to see him get matched up with an offense that um, can find a way to use his talents. Um, and then uh, a couple more guys on this list. You mentioned T.R. Tart Spencer. I definitely think as far as the uh, defensive line guys go in this draft, he's definitely underappreciated. Somebody that I would de- also put in that category from CUSA is Garrett Marino from UAB. Um, it seems like since – UAB football came back. He has just been um, one of the leaders of that team and and really was able to kind of uh, make plays everywhere he went. Um, And when you talk about, you know, UAB's defense being arguably the best over the course of the last three years within CUSA, he was a huge reason why. So um, I think he's a little, he's a little, I mean, it's, it sounds weird to say a six two, 290 pound man is small, but I feel like when you look at some of the other guys who have success at that position in the NFL, um, you know, he could stand to get a little bit bigger. And I'm sure I'll get crucified for that at some point. But um, the last guy that I want to mention, and Eric, I would love to get your take on this since we talk about CUSA in depth uh, every week for the last however many years at this point. But does former North Texas quarterback Mason Fine find a home in the NFL? Yes or no? I was waiting to see if you would bring up Mason Fine, right? Um, I promise I'm going to answer your question, but I'm also going to throw another question back at you because I don't think we've debated this on the on the podcast. I had said this from the start of this season that Mason Fine was the best quarterback in Conference USA, but James Morgan was the best quarterback prospect in Conference USA. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to answer your question and say, does he get – if you're saying he gets drafted, I'm going to say the answer is no. Does he find a home? I still think the answer is no, and I'll probably get lit up by the mean green faithful. I think this. Um, I saw this earlier today, as a matter of fact. If there's a team who doesn't mind using a smaller quarterback, i.e. Seattle, and has an offense that isn't predicated on, you know, cause I, listen, I'm a huge believer and that styles make fights. And when it comes to NFL players, excuse me, college players going to the NFL, a huge determiner for their success is where they land and whether, you know, a said coaching staff. I mean, look at Josh Rosen, for example. He ends up in Arizona one year, you know, the coach staff gets fired. The next year, coach staff doesn't believe in him. He goes to Miami. That's a wash, you know. So if Mason's fine, if there's like a Seattle or a, a team that doesn't mind using a smaller quarterback, maybe he can catch on as a UDFA. But my gut tells me that he does not. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Mason Fine had a phenomenal college career. Just my gut tells me no. But uh, that same question I threw out to you, I'm just curious your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of fall into the same camp as you on on many of those things. While he did have a really impressive college career, especially given the type of offense that North Texas found success with in 2017 and 2018, um, he's got obviously a lot to be proud of there. But the issue is, while yes, players like Russell Wilson have shown that traditionally undersized players can find success at the quarterback position, I don't see Lightning really striking twice at, with the you know the way that the NFL is right now. I don't feel like there's really you know an open quarterback spot that's really seeking him out in that regard and also it doesn't feel like there's very many teams that play the kind of up-tempo football that Mason Fine's used to playing in the NFL so you know if by some you know by some means an NFL team adjusts their offensive game plan to be more like what we saw at North Texas where there's a lot happening and you know they need somebody with the mental capabilities that Mason Fine has obviously shown he has to run that offense then yes there's potential for him to find a home somewhere but based on you know what the NFL is right now I don't think he he's going to find a home at least not immediately um which is which is a shame because obviously we've grown to really appreciate Mason Fine's game and and just from you know uh his overall personality he and we've never really had the pleasure to talk to him personally but seems like a seems like a strong uh you know a good guy so hopefully he can find some way to keep his uh, football career going um 
I mentioned Harrison Bryant being one of the guys that I don't feel like was getting enough love from NFL draft analysts and that kind of thing. So we'd like to open that back up to you guys, starting with Serpico, who's a prospect um, from throughout all of G5 that you think isn't getting enough love currently. Well, okay. So I wasn't really ready for that question. I had a guy that I was ready to throw out for, all three of us to talk about and just basically see what everybody thinks about it. And that was um, mm-hmm. Navy's quarterback, Malcolm Perry. You know, he's kind of following the mold of what we saw from uh, Keenan Reynolds a couple of years ago. Um, you know, he, he's the American conference player of the year and he's totally deserving of that. But we all know that when you make that transition to the NFL, you know, there, there is no such thing as an option quarterback, um, there's some talk that maybe he is like Keenan in the sense that he gets selected in the very later rounds as a developmental receiver just because anything you do know about these Navy quarterbacks is, I mean, you have to be a different kind of elusive just not to just take all those battering hits that you get in that option offense. I mean, sometimes literally it's – four or five plays in a row of taking a shot after shot after shot on three, four-yard plays. But then they turn around and, you know, we've seen some success with quarterbacks making the transition over to receiver. And I honestly thought, and this is kind of going down a little rabbit hole here, but I thought uh, Keenan Reynolds looked to be showing some signs of life at receiver once the XFL started. So I'm curious to see, you know, that kind of helps out with the case of Malcolm Perry. I'm curious to see, I mean, because it's Navy. So, yeah, there might be the American, but I feel like uh, they get a little bit more national love. So maybe you guys can, can chime in a little bit on that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Keenan Reynolds because I feel like he, you know, kind of is a a great example of the kind of player you have to be coming out of Navy to find any kind of success at the professional level, especially for a quarterback. But yeah, I think based on his skill set, if he can, you know, stomach the change to uh, a receiver and, you know, land a spot with a, you know, a team that really needs depth at that position, um, then he'll be all right. But I think just as it stands right now, I, th- I think that's kind of a tough ask, especially given, as we've said many times during this taping, the receiver depth in this draft is insane compared to other years. So I feel like it's a, it's a really bad year um, for a player like, you know, like him to be trying to find their way as a receiver for the first time. Uh, more or less. So I, I'm not optimistic about his chances at, at finding a, a pro career within football. And as you mentioned, now that the XFL is, is more or less gone, I, I feel that even more so. Yeah, you know what's funny, uh, Serpico, I'm glad you brought him up too. I have a little bit of the opposite feeling as uh, Joe Londrigan. I don't believe he gets drafted, but I think he's a guy who's going to end up I could easily see him on a practice squad. Don't ask me to tell you why or how. You know how there's just some guys you just see and, and you know that they're a football player? Um, and, and I know I'm, I'm going to just totally contradict everything I just said in terms of Mason Fine because, you know, Malcolm Perry is no more a football player than Mason Fine is. But um, the fact of the matter is, you know, Malcolm Perry is going to transition and play a different position than he did in college, right? Mason Fine is going to be a quarterback. He's just a guy, uh, Joe Serpico, who I could just find him being on the Patriots somehow. You know, just a utility, do it all, you know, play a little receiver, play a little running back, return kicks. Like, I can just see him doing something that lands him on an NFL roster. Um, but I definitely don't think he gets drafted. I don't even think he's, you know, the most priority of a, of a free agent. But I just, just think he's a guy who, you know what, and let me qualify this with this statement. This is a weird, unique off-season that we're dealing with, as you know, we all know, with the coronavirus COVID-19 situation. So I don't even know, and I, I've been trying to reach out to some people to figure out what exactly the undrafted free agent process is going to look like, because, you know, typically you would go to rookie minicamp and go from there. Obviously, that's not the case. So I don't know how that's going to hinder or affect a guy like him, his chances of making a roster. But uh, under standard circumstances, I just think there's some way that he sticks. I don't know how, but it just wouldn't shock me if he did. 
Can I offer a thought as to why I somewhat agree with you? <laughs> sure. Um, I think it's the fact that he is a Navy guy. I mean, I think when you kind of go back and look at the NFL and what they, the routes they typically go in order to, you know, score some bonus points with their fans. They love to sign these uh, military Academy guys or guys like Nate Boyer, who used to play at Texas. Uh, He, you know, had a short, you know, short lived stint with, with Seattle there. Uh, And I feel like that, you know, obviously they sign guys based on their playing ability, no question. But obviously I think it, I think when you comes down to getting a guy from Navy versus getting a guy from North Texas, I feel like a lot of teams are going to opt to sign a practice squad guy from Navy because it show because it scores them bonus points because they signed a, you know, a military guy. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So I but feel like, I, yeah. Yeah. I agree with, I agree with what both of you guys have said for the most part. I do think kind of the same sense of when it comes to uh, the Keenan Reynolds, I mean, he, he broke records and then now, you know, Malcolm, I mean, he smashed those on even a completely different level now. Um, I just think also we're seeing a lot more of these just gimmicky players. Like I alluded to Gibson earlier, how he can play receiver and running back. But like, I think something we're going to see more and more of now too is what the Saints have been doing with say, with Taysom Hill is, you know, you can line them up all over the place and maybe, you know, we're not going to see option plays in the NFL. I mean, we'd be losing our minds to say that that's going to become the norm. But who's to say that once a game you don't put Perry in at quarterback and run an option or do something creative, kind of like the Saints have been doing with Taysom Hill. I mean, we, you know, we hear that cliche as a copycat league, and maybe Perry is the guy you can do that with. And, hell, for all we know, Keenan Reynolds, Gets back in the NFL. I think he proved himself uh, for that little bit of a stint that he had with not only the XFL, but even that short time that he was with the Seahawks, that he's starting to show that. I mean, kind of like uh, Eric said before, I mean, you can just tell that some guys are football players, and that's where vibe I kind of get about Perry. I mean, crazy story if you guys don't know this. Um, Perry was a guy his freshman year they literally plucked him out of the stands, out of his uniform. You know, he was in his, his standard uh, military uniform. They plucked him out of the stands for him to play as a freshman in the Army-Navy game. I mean, you're not just talking about – I mean, the biggest game of all games, we all know – I mean, we all have our rivalries that we talk about in all the sports. But Army-Navy, I think we can all kind of agree on, is the, uh, the granddaddy of them all when it comes to rivalries in sports. And they just pulled him out of the stands, told him to suit up, and he goes on to hell the hell of a game. And then the game he had two years ago in the snow, I mean, he was just ridiculous on that national spotlight. So this is a guy who I really just am curious to see where he goes, whether, like you guys said, he actually gets drafted or not remains to be seen. But I do think for sure on a practice squad, but I do think there, you know, you can, you can design – a handful of plays for him every game. Just curious to see. It all it, I mean, it comes down to fit. I mean, look at Lamar Jackson. You know, talking about a guy. Maybe if he's not in Baltimore, he's not getting used the same way as if he was at any other team. And within a couple of years, you know, he's an MVP. So fit does matter. But I'm just very curious to see for Perry's sake. You know, he's a guy that kind of burst on the scene out of nowhere. I, I would have never predicted him to be Player of the Year of the conference of this year. I mean, I think we all were set in stone that that was going to be Derek King, and we've seen what's happened with that since. Barely played uh, the whole thing with Houston, basically resting players, which is a whole topic for a whole another day for another podcast. And then that ultimately led him to Miami with, honestly, another guy from Temple, who Quincy Roche, that being, who was defensive player of the year, who I thought might have came out in the draft this year and did not. So that just kind of just shows that this whole thing kind of goes, you know, round circle, basically. So there's some guys you're surprised to get out, and there's some guys that you're surprised to come back. Hey, Joe, really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, really quick. Do you mind if I, uh, if I take a crack at that question you threw out? Because 
There's a guy who, you know, I've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, but it seems that he's kind of slipping and yeah. we haven't had this, we have, we haven't had the discussion about his draft, you know, potential prospects. So I'm curious what you think as well. Uh, Benny LeMay, you know, we've, we've talked about Benny a lot uh, over the past two years. And I think what's really hurting Benny, I don't know if you happen to see it, Joe uh, um, Lonergan, but I did because I watched it live. And I, I mean, I've seen Benny play live at the East-West Shrine game. I've seen him play live twice against FIU. There's some things that you just see live that don't show, you know, in a combine-like atmosphere. But he ran a 4.7740, and obviously for a running back, especially a smaller one who's 5'8", 220, that's, you know, not to be overdramatic, but that's almost like a fatal type of time, I mean, in terms of, you know, your, your draft prospects, so to speak. But Benny, and I'm curious what you think, he never looked slow to me ever. You know, he always looked like a guy who was a patient runner, who found the holes that were there, never had any issue accelerating away from defense. When I saw him at East-West Shrine game, he had no problem stepping in and pass protection. Uh, I'm looking at his numbers right here. He did 25 reps on the bench press, so obviously isn't lacking any strength. I just, you know, it, it, it's just I'm looking at the, uh, the comps and the uh, draft projections. There are a lot of them that have Benny not even getting drafted. I'm, the one from NFL.com has him as a priority free agent slash seventh-round pick. And I guess I'm, you know, definitely want your thoughts, but I'm a little surprised because anyone who's heard us on CUSA knows that I thought Benny would be, you know, just that typical small conference running back that gets drafted in the fourth or fifth round who, you know, is going to carve out a nice career for himself. Yeah, I did see him at the draft, and I agree with you. That that seemed really atypical for him. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, I think just with the way these things go, I think that's definitely going to hurt his draft stock significantly. I do think he'll find a home in the NFL somewhere just because I think his his body of work and just his, uh, again, physical assets really uh, are going to be appealing to someone. But I, I do think he, you know, lost himself some money, so to speak, in, in terms of his combine performance, because I think that that will be enough to kind of keep him into the, the very late rounds or, or possibly even a UDFA. But I, I do think based on what I've seen from him, uh, he can definitely find some sort of success in the NFL, but yeah, I, I would agree that um, you know the as, as as far as all the other guys that we've talked about, his I, I don't want to say he he has deserved to not be talked about too much, but it's understandable given the way that sports media works, um, you know, in his combine performance, why he's not exactly skyrocketing up draft boards right now. Um, all very solid points, guys, as we kind of start to, to wind things down, because I know we've been going for a while here. But uh, I do want to get uh, one more question out there for you. Um, when we talk about these draft prospects and, and their new potential homes in the NFL, uh, what seems like a perfect fit for you guys if you had to pick one player and one NFL team? Serpico, we'll start with you. Ooh, that's a good one. Um. Are we sticking to our prospective conferences? I would I, – let's open it up to just all of G5. Okay. Well, because, I mean, I guess is – I'm going to go because I'm going first, so I guess I'm just going to steal that thunder. But the one guy who I'm kind of curious to see where he lands is because it seems to be he can go anywhere from in that top ten to maybe even the second round. And that is, uh, you know, Utah State's quarterback, Jordan Love. He's the guy who I, I want to say two years ago, was really, really big on. I mean, I mean, you guys know that I've been doing the uh, underdogs against the spread for Underdog Dynasty for a couple of years now. And Utah State was one of my favorite teams to go to for that all the time just because, I mean, he was, he was clutch all the time, it seems like, his junior year. Kind of things didn't work out the same last year, and a lot of that has been um, talked about. But whoever gave that initial comparison to him, to Patrick Mahomes, I'm not seeing that totally. I just think Patrick Mahomes is just a completely different animal. I think he's uh, getting ready to revolutionize the game in a completely different way. But I can kind of see what, what teams are seeing. And whoever was that first person to put that comparison out there, I think that that alone is going to get him drafted in the first round. Um, now, does it translate into the same career? Who knows? Because, I mean, just a couple of years ago, it was Josh Allen and Granite. I'm not trying to compare these, these guys whatsoever because they're different styles of play. 
but everybody was convinced that Josh Allen could have been the number one pick in that draft. And then we, we kind of saw how that went. And he, Josh Allen's career is still yet to be determined. I don't want to uh, act like the, he, he's terrible. I think we still got a lot to learn about him going, I believe, now in his third year. But with somebody with love, I think, you know, a lot of people are seeing the sky's the limit if you're going to place that Mahomes' name on him. I think that is, uh, again, a high uh, feeling to put on him. But he's a guy that I 1,000% am going to be keeping an eye on just because I think somebody for sure is going to take him in the first round kind of for the same reasons that just a couple of years ago with Lamar was taken with the last pick, you know, just to hold on to that fifth-year option and then, you know, I mean, now the Ravens know that they have their guy for at least five years on that rookie deal, and he's the reigning MVP. Not saying that Love is – I don't see that with Love. I, I saw that a little bit more with Jackson than I do with Love. But, you know, we do know that a lot of these teams now, they're trying to build around rookie quarterback contracts. And you know, we're, we're kind of seeing also on the tail end of what happens of once they actually get paid – how bad it is for your team. I mean, look at the Rams. They've had to make some drastic moves. So, again, for me, it's love to see where where he ends up. Uh, I'm convinced he is going to go in the first round. And then, hell, we might see even a fifth guy that we didn't really see coming just because of that same reason. Yeah, so I'll piggyback off that, Joe, and I'll just give you a, a couple names and a couple landing spots. Going to start with Amik Robertson. Uh, I think teams that need a cornerback, you look at Washington. I know they got rid of Josh Norman and got rid of Quentin Dunbar as well. And I know Dallas has a need at cornerback as well. And uh, maybe even the Rams, because I, I know that, uh, you know, they've been kind of in flux with their cornerback situation. I know they have Jalen Ramsey, but uh, maybe he's a number two cornerback. Amik Robertson, by all accounts, I know we didn't get into him too much on this pod, but, you know, he's a guy who I'm sure you feel the same way. He's a plug-and-play type player. I mean, there's no reason to believe. I, I can't remember which the player it was, but it was a Texas receiver who I think was 6'4", 6'5". Last year, I remember watching a play where Amik Robertson at 5'8", 5'9", 185 pounds just jammed him off the line and dominated him. I mean, that shows that the guy is fearless, and he's been the best cornerback, or even the best defensive player in CUSA over the past two years. Uh, a second one I'll go with is Alex Highsmith. I could see him maybe like a Seattle. I know that, you know, we're not sure what they're going to do with Jadevian Clowney. But any team that needs a pass rusher, I think, I think that Alex Highsmith is a guy who, at the bare minimum, you know, you're not sure what his long-term potential is as far as, um, you know, turning into a, a, a long-term starting type of NFL defensive lineman. But I think just in terms of pure pass rushing skills, he has it. And, you know, I got to be a homer here. You know, I got to go James Morgan. And I do think that Tampa Bay and New England are potential landing spots. New England is the obvious one with Belichick. I, I think, you know, a, a late round. Um, and no, I'm not comparing James to Tom Brady. I'm just saying that I think there's, if a team's going to take a quarterback in the late round and see what, you know, we can get up as a potential type player that's there. But also when you think about Tampa, they have an, an aging quarterback, someone who's not getting any younger. And Bruce Arians is a fan of guys who, you know, those big statuesque guys like a Ben Roethlisberger and uh, Carson Palmer, or even a Peyton Manning in his past. So I do think at least James Morgan's skill set lines up with someone like B.A. So I could see James in Tampa Bay. I know I've mentioned Harrison Bryant before, but uh, I do want to mention this real quick um, along with uh, one other guy. But Green Bay needs a tight end to replace Jimmy Graham. And I usually cut Mel Kuyper a lot of slack. But um, in the second round, he has Green Bay selecting Adam Troutman from Dayton. And, uh, you know, no disrespect to, to Dayton Flyers. Um, that's my hometown team. But none of those guys are on scholarship. And I there's only been like, I think like one instance of anybody from that football program making an impact in the NFL. So I feel like if Harrison Bryant's still on the board in the second round and they are serious about getting a high-level tight end to replace Graham, I feel like they have to go Bryant in in that pick. I feel like that makes uh, perfect sense. And then the other one, staying within uh, Conference USA, um, you know, I, I mentioned Kez Watkins, and honestly, I, I really feel like he would uh, – I feel like he'll find a good home in Miami. I feel like they have a pretty young offense. I feel like he would fit in well with guys like Devontae Parker. So uh, whether that's – 
you know, in, in the middle rounds and late rounds, I feel like um, that's kind of a low risk, high reward pick for the Dolphins. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'm uh, proven right. And Kez Watkins finds a home with the Dolphins there. But yeah, I think, I think we had a good discussion on, on this one, guys. Uh, Serpico can't thank you enough. Uh, I know we're missing uh, our boy Joe Broback. Hopefully we'll, we'll get him back at, at some point in a guest capacity soon to, to talk football. But um, if you want to follow Serpico on Twitter, it's just at J O E S E R P. Uh, and then of course my good buddy, Eric Henry at Eric C Henry underscore. And then I am at J O E H I O underscore on Twitter machine. Uh, of course, follow at underdog dynasty as well for more G five football content as we uh, push through the off season and into the summer and eventually into that glorious fall football season and uh, check out underdog dynasty. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, <laughs> but uh, yeah, as we, as we learn more and, and hopefully we, we get an on time football season, uh, you can come back to underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football content. Uh, enjoy the draft. Uh, it might be the only real live sports we get for a while. Um, happy football watching everybody. Happy football watching everybody.